0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Wake up every morning with just the news. All the news and none of the noise. Just the news AM starts now.
2: Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here. I hope you had a relaxing and fun weekend, one of the last ones here of the year. And tonight, don't forget, the two planets look like they're going to kiss. You want to make sure you tune in for that solstice. It's going to be exciting. Well, we had a lot happening over the weekend between the stimulus agreement, President Trump giving lots of thoughts over the weekend about everything. We're going to have get into all that, dive into that and whether or not, according to some conservatives, that stimulus plan has some fat, some pork. What do you think? We're gonna talk about that more later, but in the meantime, 2020 is wrapping up. We laughed, we cried. A lot of us are glad this year is wrapping up, but I have an executive coach here and my friend, Ben Scott, who's gonna walk us through New Year's resolutions. Are they worth making? Are they worth breaking? What should we think about it? Ben's here, good morning.
3: Good morning, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate that.
2: So Ben, so let's think about New Year's resolutions. So a lot of people, year is winding down. The new year is going to be winding up. How do we think about New Year's resolutions? And a lot of people, maybe within even the first three weeks, they break them.
3: That's correct. A- absolutely true. All those statistics are very true. So one of my thoughts are, why wait to the new year? I mean, it's a great point to start because starting is always great. But why wait to that time frame? If you want to keep your New Year's resolution goals, right, have an accountability partner. Well, let's back up one step before that. Do you really know what you want? That's part of the problem. If you really know what you want, clear decisively what you want, then when the obstacles, distractions, obstacles come up in front of you, then you can stay on track. So first of all, I talk about the three M's for me when I do my coaching. So M cubed, mind shift matters most, M squared, mind management, and then M is move. So when we go back to the first M, that's where I'm talking about, knowing exactly what you want. You can't be vague. Whatever your belief system, the universe, God, nature of my belief system is God. If you know exactly what you want, put it out there, God will then start moving things towards you so that you can take those actions to get the things that you want. Then the next thing to me is mindset or mind management, the M squared. That's an accountability partner. So if you say that you're going to go to the gym at 5 a.m., and you and I make that deal, and then I'm there at 5 a.m., and you don't show up, Ben's calling you, like, what's going on? What's up? <laughs> so that helps us keep on track. If you say we're going to lose weight, which is probably the number one thing that we're going to do, right? We're going to lose weight and get in shape. But we don't have an accountability partner to help us stay in that mindset. So that's where coaches come into play. That's where friends come into play. Even a video. So one of my resolutions was, earlier this year when we went into COVID lockdown, is that I was going to start doing uh, on the treadmill. So what I did was, I did an hour on the treadmill, running, jogging, walk, jog, whatever it was. I recorded it, then I posted it on my website. Do you see how I did the accountability thing? I had the accountability of the recording and put it out there. So mind management is really very important. And the number three is move. You've got to get off that fourth point of contact. You've got to move. You've got to take action. Because execution is where the results happen. If we don't execute, then we won't get the results. If you don't have something to keep you accountable, then you probably are not going to move. And if you don't do the mind shift to know exactly what you want, then it's all for naught. So I really believe it all begins with keeping our resolutions. But don't wait. What's wrong with starting today? If you know you need to lose weight, if that's what you say you need to do, or if you know you need to improve your relationships, if you know you need to do that, start today. But I do understand that one January 2021 is a great starting point. I do understand that and sure. that.
2: And in terms of accountability partners, how do you pick one? And also, if you are the accountability partner, how do you not be obnoxious and annoying, how do you, but also demand results?
3: Got it, so let's start with the second one. How do you not be obnoxious or annoying? Ask. So. A- am, I giving, am, I, am I being too much? Am I being too little? Because if we don't ask, you don't get. Another quote from another book I read, not as often as I should read, says you have not because you ask not. So I ask, am I being obnoxious? Am I being too much? People more times than not will be honest with you. And then you can also read what's going on. What the, what's the results in the, in the interaction you're getting? So a- absolutely. And what was the first question? Forgive me.
2: Uh, in terms of how do you pick your accountability yeah. partner?
3: So again, finding someone that you mesh with. So, do you have that correct vibe? Do you have that correct, uh, that 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 symbiotic uh, feeling with the other individual?
2: But. Oftentimes I see people, whether it's a family member or maybe someone they were a close friend with, if they then try to move it into a different form of a relationship, whether we're talking business accountability or some form of accountability or something like this where you're kind of shifting the power dynamic where you're asking someone to kind of rein you in, sometimes things can get hairy.
3: Absolutely right. So as I say with some of our goals as well, and we have talked about that, but some of our goals, some need to be very private only to me, some when I share with a few people and some I share to the world, okay. So the same principle applies. If you know that, I don't need my mom in my ear, okay? Because we know sometimes our parents, they love us and they want to protect us, but they also sometimes limit us. Well, then maybe I need somebody from the outside to come in drill sergeant style, right? Because that's what I respond to. Or I need a friend that I can say that I don't want to let down. So I don't want to let Carrie down. So Carrie says she's going to be there. 5 a.m., I'm going to be there. So you've got to understand who you are, again, knowing what you want, number one. You've got to be very clear in what you want. And I don't mean I, need to, I want to lose weight. I want to weigh X number of pounds by this date, so to speak. The same thing, that way you can marry what you're talking about with whom you're talking with as well. I think that's the key right there.
2: What about when you, three weeks in, it's now yeah. January 21st. That's correct. You miss, you fail, you fall on your face, you stuff your face, or you miss a week of working out. How do you recover?
3: Then you don't, you don't criticize, you don't kill yourself. Like a child learning to walk. When they fall down... We don't say, stop trying. No, no. We say, get up and try again. So that's okay. It's like the self-beach diet. You, f- you make a mistake, then I decide that I'm going to start doing it again. I-, I do it again. We only grow by failure. You f- as-, as Les Brown says, you fail your way into success. So don't kill ourselves if we don't make the goal. We can make the goal. But the goal is important. It's almost as almost, equally important as effort because effort gets the results so if you don't even try then guess what it it doesn't matter so don't beat yourself up too much and that's where you got to get that accountability partner to go in there to, to give you the encouragement be that negative or positive depending on your needs to help you move forward so failure is not losing failure is only failure losing is when you quit
2: all right ben scott always appreciate your wisdom
3: Thank you very much, Kurt, for the opportunity. And everybody, everybody needs a coach.
2: Absolutely. Stay with us, folks. We're going to talk about the crisis over in China with the Uyghurs. Stay tuned. Hey there, good morning, and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield, and glad you're here with us. Well, Operation Warp Speed broke all the barriers when it came to developing the coronavirus vaccine, and it was led by President Trump. And joining me here this morning is Michael Pratt. He's the chief communications officer for Operation Warp Speed. Good morning, Michael. Good
1: morning, Carrie. Thanks for having me on.
2: So congratulations on your historic day, the first uh, injection of someone here in the U.S. with the vaccine up in Long Island, as they say. Um, Let's play some sound from the president setting up what happened on Friday night with the approval.
4: I have really good news. Today, our nation has achieved a medical miracle. We have delivered a safe and effective vaccine in just nine months. This is one of the greatest scientific accomplishments in history. It will save millions of lives and soon end the pandemic
0: once and for all.
2: So, Michael, we heard over and over, when the president had first announced Operation Warp Speed, we had lots of people not only in the media, but also in the medical community saying that that was just way too audacious, it was way too ambitious and just impractical of a goal to have the vaccine on tap by the end of the year. Why do you think they were so keen to really try to, uh, you know, put a timeline that they thought uh, was more reasonable, but ended up not being real?
1: Well, I think when you have a leader like President Trump and you have a health secretary like Secretary Azar, they looked at the timelines that the pharmaceutical companies were providing, and they said, that's not good enough. We can do better. America's the nation that put a man on the moon. America's the nation that had the Manhattan Project. We need a Manhattan Project, too. We need Operation Warp Speed to be able to deliver critical, life-saving vaccinations without skipping a single safety or efficacy check that is run by the independent boards that the FDA has and that the pharmaceutical companies have for themselves. So they put a team together. Uh, Secretary Azar recruited Dr. Monsef Slaoui, who's the chief scientific advisor for Warp Speed. He met with Department of Defense officials who gave General Gus Perna. And this crack team that was put together that literally hasn't slept in months uh, here in the Humphrey building has been working since May on delivering what we, the fruits of which we saw Monday as we saw those shots go into arms. And it's a, I think it's a great reminder of what American do, America can do uh, when we put our mind to it. And it's a great reminder of what happens when you have leadership uh, that buys in and says, we can do this, we're gonna do it the right way, but we can deliver because this was all about saving lives. And that's what the president, that's what Secretary Azar, that's what Operation Warp Speed delivered.
2: And in terms of the politics of this, the president put up a tweet saying, Uh, he he addressed reports about this issue. He said people working in the White House should receive the vaccine somewhat later in the program unless specifically necessary. I've asked that this adjustment be made. I am not scheduled to take the vaccine, but look forward to doing so at the appropriate time. Thank you, and that was in response to some people saying that uh, that people at the White House would be cutting to the front of the line, even though they're not necessarily on the front lines as healthcare workers. Uh, and they said that that was not fair. And the president said, "No, hold your horses. This is a fake news rumor." Um, can you talk about that a bit? How what's the the decision? How do you guys think about who should get the vaccine?
1: Well, as you know, the first phase for general vaccination will largely go to frontline healthcare workers and to Uh, Residents of long-term care facilities, some of the most vulnerable. We're trying to protect our healthcare heroes and protect those who might be most impacted by the coronavirus. Now, it is important, obviously, for us to have, as part of our efforts to build confidence in the the vaccine, to have public leaders demonstrate uh, their confidence in the process that delivered the vaccine and in the safety and efficacy of the vaccine. So I do think you will see uh, some public vaccinations happen in the coming uh, days and weeks, um, but those will be announced uh, w- when they're ready to go.
2: And Michael, there were some conservatives who were upset by the timing of the announcement because they said, hey, this is a little bit suspect because uh, the, there's the phrase, the deep state, um, that the, there might be some people who are actively opposed to the president who are maybe trying to suppress announcements uh, or saying they wanted to wait till after the election to possibly sway it. What's your response to that?
1: Well, look, Secretary Azar has said that from the start, Uh, He demanded that politics play no part in the development of this vaccine, because having Americans have confidence in the process and confidence in the final product was critically important. So that's what we did at Operation Warp Speed, and that's what we expected from everyone who was part of the effort.
2: And we saw in the presidential—vice presidential debate that uh, Kamala Harris now, Vice President-Elect uh, Kamala Harris said that she would not take a vaccine if it was a Trump vaccine, but she would take it if Dr. Fauci said that it was safe to take it. Um, but Dr. Fauci is the president's legal advisor. So uh, do you think that it was appropriate for her to say that?
1: Look, I'm here as, uh, as someone from Operation Warp Speed, part of this public health effort to vaccinate Americans. So I don't want to comment on, on political items. But I'll just say that it's really important that all of us continue to work to build confidence in the vaccine. There were five independent checks throughout uh, the vaccine development and review process. The FDA put its mark of approval on it with an emergency use, thos- use authorization so that way we can begin administering the vaccine and begin saving lives. Uh, and it's important for all of us to move in that direction.
2: Well, and we saw in the UK and in Canada as well, they also approved it even before the United States did. Um, And can you talk a bit about the Moderna vaccine? Because this FDA has all the materials, has put out an analysis. It's looking like this week it could be approved as well. Do you think it will be more widely spread because it doesn't require the high freezing temperatures the way that the Pfizer one does?
1: Well, look, we'll have to wait and see what happens at Thursday's VRBPAC meeting, but as you said, the FDA this morning released its packet uh, of information ahead of that meeting, and it looks incredibly promising. So you could see any time after that Thursday meeting, depending on the results, uh, another emergency use authorization from the FDA. Uh, As you noted, there are some differences in the logistics of storing and shipping both of these vaccines, but I think it's really important to note that Operation Warp Speed worked so closely with our state and jurisdiction partners uh, in terms of being able to figure out how best to deploy the Pfizer vaccine and make sure it was equitable so that way, as the guest you just had before you said, we're going to see states and jurisdictions using all the vaccine that's allocated to them.
2: And are you seeing any problem areas so far on distribution? Are there any areas, any specific states or territories where there are bottlenecks?
1: So General Perna yesterday at, uh, at, at the OWS briefing uh, gave a quick update on some of uh, the things that they were on the lookout for. Obviously, there's some inclement weather later this week that they're tracking. But this is why we put Operation Warp Speed together from the start to have this insight into the private sector distribution channels that we would be using. I think it's really important to note, and this was what uh, the president's uh, summit at the White House last week was focused on, was pointing out that the private sector companies that are part of this operation and are critical partners, this is what they do. This is what they do. They, we distributed this year over 190 million flu vaccines just this year. We can do this for the COVID 19 vaccine. And that's what Operation Warp Speed, Secretary Azar, are pushing forward to do, which is to have, uh, ultimately, have access to the COVID 19 vaccine be very similar to the access that uh, and the experience that you have going to get your flu shot.
2: And Michael, you said that, that it's important to build confidence in the vaccine. What do you think are sort of the biggest misperceptions or misunderstandings about the vaccine?
1: Well, certainly there's been a lot of commentary around the speed of development. I mean, we've shaved years off the timeline compared to the next fastest vaccine development. But it's really important to note that that was done uh, largely, in fact, completely by uh, funding the steps necessary so that way they could happen in sequence and by scaling up manufacturing. Because the normal pharmaceutical timeline, and this was the great insight that Secretary Azar brought as a former pharmaceutical executive, was that the normal timeline would be you would complete all the review steps, of the product and then you would begin scaling up manufacturing and the other thing that would happen is that pharma companies de-risk each individual part of the process so by putting them on top of each other you were able to use all of the safety steps continue to check every box and deliver a safe effective vaccine
2: oh well michael we appreciate it when government actually works thank you so much for joining us this morning we appreciate it thank you carrie stay with us folks we'll be right back Hey there, good morning and welcome back to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. I want to play this clip for you. It's a preview uh, from a very interesting documentary. Take a look.
4: I don't remember the actual day, but I remember the emotion
5: that I felt when it, when it happened. I'm often asked, was there an epiphany? I started asking questions. As I became more politically aware. A lot of... The way that I saw things began to change.
3: All of this information I've been taking in for several years. A continuation of these kind of
4: contradictions. I had
5: bought into all of these lies. You begin to see what the real agenda is. That's usually how that red-pilling process begins. Black America is starting to get it. People are starting to realize what's going on.
2: And it's a very provocative title there, Uncle Tom. And joining me is one of the stars of that documentary. His name is Vish Burra. He's vice president of the New York Young Republican Club. Good morning, Vish.
5: Good morning, Carrie. Thank you for having me.
2: So what's been the response since this this came out in the summertime? What's been the feedback that you've gotten since it came out?
5: Well, all the pretty much 99% of the feedback that we've gotten has been super positive. I mean, uh, it's a powerful film just on its own, you know, without even lending to the politics of it all, it's just an incredibly well-done film by Justin Malone, and uh, it's it, the the feedback has just been uh, extraordinary, and um, the reviews online and the uh, the um, ratings that we've seen on, on on the platforms are just through the roof. I mean, uh, I'm very uh, proud and humbled and honored to be. Uh, in this film with such uh trailblazers like alan west and you know rest in peace herman kane rest in peace king Face, two uh of the co-stars who have since passed uh since uh since this movie was released so um you know we we're, we're just uh, incredibly honored and i and i do think there there's more to come
2: in terms of we saw the support for President Trump among black voters, it doubled, for example, among black women. Uh, it certainly increased among black men as well. Do you think that the support is durable beyond just Trump the man? Is it more of the movement or the ideology or even the Republican Party?
5: Well, I think that um, it's one of the main reasons I personally got involved in the in the Trump movement, in the Trump movement. I think there is this. Uh, opening for uh, conservatives and, and Republicans uh, to reach out to young minority males, such as my, myself. Um, I think that there's a durable and long-term prospect there that we should pursue. Uh, you know, we, we've seen that, uh, especially in the 2020 election that just passed, uh, the numbers, uh, especially in the, lo- the locations, the geographic locations that these uh, votes uh, have come from, Uh, it can present a very interesting prospect to shift the uh, maps uh, that currently exist today and how we go about winning uh, the presidency or or any of these congressional seats or any seat that we go after. So I think it it, it is durable, and I believe that it is for the future, but we have to make sure we work to uh, reach out to those communities and then organize that energy and that enthusiasm into something effective.
2: And what about your story? Were you always conservative, or always a Republican, or was there sort of a light bulb moment for you? Were there specific issues that really changed your mind?
5: Well, I, I've I, I've always been so I I registered as an independent, but I did vote for Barack Obama in 2012. Now, um, you know, I openly tell everybody I, I made that decision on a sort of identity politics basis that you know he was dark and so was I, so uh, I thought it was a natural choice, but you know, since then I've sort of grown out of um, justifying things so easily to myself, and I ask tougher questions as to why I vote for somebody. And so that that that's one thing is my maturity in and, and just understanding how I go about making decisions. But obviously, uh, uh, there were things about immigration and the way wa- Washington D.C. did business, and uh, a whole bunch of things that I was uh, upset about that got me into this movement. And you know, namely the Bill of Rights being so clearly under attack uh, from the left. So uh, all of these things, you know, helped me to get involved. Um, And I believe that there are plenty of young minority men out there who are ready to also stand up for these things that uh, we believe in.
2: So over the weekend here in Washington, there were some Trump supporters who were here, lots, you know, thousands of people coming in uh, to support the president and and push uh, for more investigations around electoral integrity questions. Uh, But there were some who have been criticized, and the D.C. government is investigating uh, reports that some of these protesters were destroying Black Lives Matter signs uh, and other materials that were owned by historically black churches. So this is the private property or uh, materials that were you know placed on private property, and you have people coming in who are Trump supporters and destroying it. And I was listening to the NPR coverage, uh, for example, this morning, and they were saying it was white supremacists who were doing it. Um, I mean, what's your take on that tactic, as far as you know, taking material that's not yours, destroying it? Do you think it's going too far, and does it risk alienating uh, people who might be sort of in the on the
5: fence? Well, I think that this kind of behavior will. It takes it too far anywhere, but, but let's be clear. I mean, we saw uh, the summer of love, where BLM and Antifa were literally acting like terrorists. So I don't think uh, you know they have a moral high ground to to make this 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 argument or or make or create hysteria about this. Uh, I think this is just uh, you know a lot of political attacks, just trying to paint uh, every Republican as as violent and that we own. Uh, what's going on in the streets. But for some reason, you know, the Democrats don't own what Antifa and uh, BLM do in their streets. So I think it's just hypocrisy. I don't take this seriously. I reject the whole premise of the argument. Um, but what I think that we are going to start seeing now is that there's going to be an escalation, uh, you know, between these these folks uh, just coming out trying to you know, understand where where we stand in terms of this fraud that's taken place and, and where we are in the process of figuring out who's our president because, um, you know, tensions are high and, uh, you know, people are really, really passionate about these things that they believe in.
2: And when it comes to reaching out, uh, as you mentioned to, uh, you said it in particular, young men of color, what are the particular issues that you think would really hit home with them?
5: Well, I think, you know, every young man, I, I think, you know, especially young minority males, we, we, we want to prosper. We want to be part of a society where we can you know uh, have a family, own property and and grow a business and 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 be leaders in our communities. So I think that's a natural inclination for uh, young, young men anywhere, uh, but especially young minority men who may come from tougher places where the demand to be uh, better is is higher. So I think that um, I or, you know, it it is needed for survivability. So I think that especially uh, moving forward, we should be unashamed uh, in our love for capitalism and uh, in our love for the system that allows people with good intentions and who work hard to prosper. So I think that, you know, and that's a a very positive message that we can go into these communities with to, uh, you know, to try to organize them to, you know, buy into the system and invest in this system.
2: All right, Vish Barra, we appreciate it.
5: Thank you, Carrie.
2: Vish he's the New York uh, Young Republicans Club vice president. Uh, well, stay with me, folks. We've got some very eye-popping and compelling charts that I want you to see. Uh, they're calling into question a lot of the the science or the consensus around uh, masks and other things with the COVID shutdowns. Uh, And data expert Yanon Weiss is going to join me. Stay here, folks. Hey there, good morning and welcome back to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. So I am going to bring in a tech CEO and he's one of these, uh, you know, there's just this huge wave we've seen over and over uh, fleeing the state of California because of the policies, the high taxes, the regulation and the shutdowns. And he is settling in Texas. And he's joining me this morning. His name is Yanon Weiss and he is the CEO of Stress Relief. Good morning.
0: Hi Carrie. nice to see you.
2: Good to see you. So in particular, you've been releasing some very provocative and interesting data charts, uh, calling into question a lot of these coronavirus shutdowns. Um, And I just want our viewers to know about them. Uh, Maybe they've already seen them because you've got millions of views on Twitter. Um, So you're kind of breaking the internet right now with them. And I just wanna make our viewers aware of this. So I wanna put one up first here. Um, And you looked at the chart here of COVID-19 deaths versus cases per million of the United States. So you looked there at the very bottom, you can see in red, how it's really static. So the deaths versus the cases, and you said there's something clearly wrong with using cases as a useful measure of setting policy. Cases are largely a story of mass testing and ramped up PCR cycles. Certainly not scientific justification to close schools, businesses or restrict freedom of movement. And yet we hear over and over in the media The top line is always about cases. Um, Are we starting to see deaths rise, though? Because it seemed, I mean, the media keeps saying, oh, we're we're now seeing 3,000 deaths per day. Is that number going up, though?
0: So the deaths are real. I think what's important to understand about cases is that back in March and April, cases were a good predictor of deaths. Because the people getting tested were the people who were sick or going to hospitals. Now we have mass testing, and anybody who has even defeated the virus will count as a positive test, let alone the false positives. And so that's why I say, you know, the number of cases is not the best indicator for setting policy, because cases are, have been become, they've become decoupled from deaths. So you can have a significant increase in cases and still have a flat or even decreasing number of deaths.
2: And I want to turn to another chart that you put up looking at comparing your old state, California, with your new state of Texas. And you said that despite California following medieval science and superstition, it has had a nearly identical case trajectory as Texas, which follows almost none of it. In Texas, schools are open, businesses are open, people can go for a walk. In other words, they are treated more as human beings. And you chart these two graphs here um, where, I mean, California, I would say, is certainly... Uh, overall, uh, on balance, uh, a bit lower, but there are some spikes where it's certainly a bit higher. Um, So why do you think there is such a dichotomy just in terms of how the governors are approaching this?
0: Well, I mean, first, I call it medieval science because the policies really are unfounded, right? Like, don't go out after 10 Uh, o'clock. Don't eat outside with other people. Uh, wear a face covering when you're outdoors. These are the kinds of things that you would expect maybe in a medieval, non-scientific era. Uh, and what this graph shows is that when Texas is not doing those policies, the cases between California and Texas are almost exactly the same. Um, why they are different? Why is California limiting so many freedoms? Uh, I think it's because the population there, or at least the government there, tends to believe that the government is the solution to everything. And so since we have a pandemic, people look to the government to solve their problems rather than than managing their own risk. And so when people look to the government to solve their own problems and the government doesn't actually have any solutions, they have to do something. And they do these pretty crazy things like closing down schools, not letting people meet. Uh, In the Bay Area and lots of parts of California, you can't see anybody outside of your household. You can't go on a date you can't you unless can't you're the governor the of
2: california then you can go to the french laundry luxury restaurants. so don't forget that um well, I the wonder- mayor, sure oh that's it yes um i want to put another chart up um where you pointed out the odds of death um and a lot of people right now are living in fear and what you're showing here is people's fear of covid relative to other conditions it's overblown um you lease you know heart disease versus cancer Uh, car accidents, drownings, fire, smoke, um, you are just slightly or about the same um, likelihood to die of sunstroke as you are of COVID-19. And you're only slightly more likely to die of COVID than getting electrocuted or radiated. Um, So when we're talking about heart disease and cancer, um, which is, you know, driven by obesity um, and lots of other problems, people not exercising, why do you think there's so much fear over COVID specifically?
0: first i need to clarify that charts for people under 50. right and i think the reason that there is so such a disproportional level of fear is driven by the media when anybody watches mainstream media all you hear about are these um, panic stories these extreme cases they'll find a rare individual under 50 uh, that has had complications or has died which is tragic uh, but they don't highlight the actual risk so people don't have a proportional amount of risk Right. The people who are uh, in in 30s and 40s are almost a thousand times less of a risk group than people in their 70s and 80s. And so they're watching the mainstream media. One does not get a balanced view of what the actual risk is. Driving is still far more dangerous for people under 50 than that's even if you get infected with covid.
2: Well, and, and we put up your, tw- your tweet there noting that if you're under 50, you're three times more likely to die on your own food uh, than of COVID. Um, so real quick, I just want, while we have you, um, why did you decide to move from California to Texas?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's two factors. The first was a very practical one for my kids. I have three kids in elementary school, uh, one of them in kindergarten, and he started kindergarten on Zoom on a tablet. And I, my kid's education is just a non-starter. Uh, I'll I'll go through any length I need to to make sure my kids have access to a proper education. And California is simply not offering that. Uh, the second is a little bit more philosophical. I mean, what I view in California as doing in terms of limiting people's freedom of movement, uh, destroying people's livelihoods, encouraging neighbors to report on one another, uh, preventing people from going to a place All of right. worship.
2: You know, sorry, we got to leave it right there. But thank you so much. Stay here, Thank folks. you. Good morning and welcome back to Just the News AM. We are looking at a live shot there that is Las Vegas. Uh, it is three hours ahead of where we are here in the East Coast, so it's 626 AM there. That's the Raiders stadium. We just had a guest here, John Ponder, who is actually working with the Raiders. The Raiders, as, as you all know, uh, f- a professional football team. And John Ponder has been able to partner with the Raiders for mentoring and for bringing people who are in prison right now and connecting them with professional athletes to give them a sense of hope, to give them a sense of possibility. Uh, The stadium is also being used to host Christmas morning with families of prisoners. So what they're able to do is they get their families, they got 100 couches, they're putting them in the stadium, they're bringing their families together and letting their families celebrate Christmas in the stadium. Uh, These are prisoners who are behind bars, but they get a one-day reprieve to go out on Christmas Day. They bust them in. Um, Really heartwarming, great story, Um, but we wish the people of Las Vegas all the best. Now we're going to move on. I was able to interview Jimmy Lai. Jimmy Lai is an eccentric billionaire in Hong Kong. Uh, He's been arrested multiple times over the years for various things. Uh, He's a bit of a rabble rouser, according to the Chinese government, uh, but he truly believes in freedom of the press. He founded Apple News, uh, which is a media company that speaks out against the Chinese regime. Uh, And Jimmy Lai and I, we talked for about half an hour. We talked about a lot of topics. Go to our website, justthenews.com. You'll see my latest piece is an interview, part of the interview with Jimmy Lai. Uh, he spoke specifically about his Catholic faith. Now, he is a deeply devout Catholic and he is very upset with the Pope. He says that the Pope has been a sellout, that the Pope signed basically a deal with the devil, um, with the communist government in China. Uh, and the hope was that the Chinese government would be less repressive to Catholics in China. Um, and this was a two-year deal signed two years ago. Um, and. Secretary of State here in the U.S., Mike Pompeo, has said that in the ensuing two years since that deal was signed, things have not improved, uh, not only for Catholics, but for all people of faith there, uh, no matter your religion. Um, And so I hope you'll check out the story, see what Jimmy Lai had to say. Again, make your own thoughts, your own judgments. Um, But we also talked about another topic that I want to play the clip for you about his thoughts and his own words. Uh, We talked about the 2020 election and what he thinks is the key factors in terms of the U.S.-China relationship and who he thinks is best to handle the challenges. Take a look.
4: Well, I I, I think the pandemic, the Wuhan virus, is a pearl harbor to the people of the U.S. and the free world that woke up people to the bad behavior of CCP, which is detrimental to their life. They feel very uneasy about it. You know, their decency and value were hurt by it. And I think the people who have a resentment about CCP will be the determinants of the politics in the US. But I do think that the way that President Trump deals with China is the right way by playing hardball. I don't think Biden would have such a strong impact. And I haven't seen Biden being very strong against China. I'm afraid that if he becomes president, he will be more reconciliatory to China than President Trump. But I don't think President Trump will be, will be defeated. I, I, have, I have no doubt he will be reelected. You, because people in the US, knows that in this time they need President Trump. His record of revising the economy and making U.S. which is an energy importer into an exporter, which also brought about the peace in Middle East because the U.S. doesn't have to depend on the U.S for the oil, but energy that make it easier to solve the problems in Middle East. And
2: And what um, what about Joe Biden and his dealings in China? Because we just had here in the United States, the Senate, there were two committee chairmen in the United States Senate who issued a report to show that there are lots of questions about Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, that there are questions about the Biden family, Um, and that Hunter Biden may have some potential criminal activities and some potential criminal ties uh, to parties in the Ukraine, potentially in Russia as well. Um, But Hunter Biden has also done business in China. There have been questions about Hunter Biden's business dealings and potentially using his father, Joe Biden, in his China business. Do you see any evidence of this on Hunter Biden and possible other members of the Biden family to use joe biden's position in china to make money for themselves or to engage in any corruption
4: well this is election time issues like this is very sensitive you know i and i i I, i'm not the one to get into it but i just hope that there's nothing in the ccp's hand that eventually can flatten president biden if he becomes president i'm sure President Biden will play gentleman with China that President Trump would not.
2: So there is Jimmy Lyon giving his thoughts on the 2020 presidential election. He thinks that, as he says, Joe Biden would play more of a gentleman toward China. And he says this is not what is needed right now. Hey there. Welcome back to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield. I'm going to close the show on a lighter note. So last night I sent out a tweet that went viral on an unrelated topic, uh, but it surfaced, again, something that I had said in 2017 in response to this viral tweet, and it was about a historical figure that I compared President Trump to, and that was Winston Churchill. So I said on another network, I said in 2017, I think we should have a side-by-side of Winston Churchill's insults and Donald Trump's tweets. We'd see a lot of similarities. So someone on the Internet, thank you, Internet, went through and actually did that. And this is a Twitter account called Bad Fox Graphics. And he put a couple side by side quotes. So let's take a look. So here's one here from Winston Churchill saying he delivers his speech with an expression of wounded guilt. This is President Trump saying, how can a dummy dope like Harry Hurt, who wrote a failed failed book about me, but doesn't know me or anything about me, be on Trump TV or on on TV discussing Trump? So you got the wounded expression here. Uh, The next one that this user pulled up uh, was talking about another burn. And the burn from Winston Churchill says, I wish Stanley Baldwin no ill, but it would have been much better if he had never lived. And then you have the president going after the host of MSNBC, very brutal. Um, And then another one on women. So a woman told, Churchill, he says, if you were my husband, I would flavor your coffee with poison. And he says, Madam, if I were your husband, I would drink it. And then you have Trump saying something also about Crooked Hillary. Uh, the tone is very, very similar. So I stand by my 2017 statement. I certainly do. Uh, and I hope you might consider it as well. Stay here, folks. War Room is up next.
3: Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. like that car riding right your tail.